Hey, welcome in everybody. It's Dr. Tim Brown, your host for Farmcast for the Community, coming from from the University of Georgia's College of Pharmacy. Uh, as always, we're trying to keep the community healthy, and every month I try to find topics that I hope that you feel are valuable in your lives. Before we get to today's topic, however, I want to tell you that in May, Dr. Patrick Chansey will be joining us. He's from the Chansey family. Of course, everybody in Georgia knows them. They stand out as a huge pharmacy family here, very innovative. He's going to come in and talk about how to afford medications. It's difficult. Times are rough. We all know that the price of everything has gone up. So he's really going to come in and tell us what options we have to decrease the amount of money that comes out of our pocket for the medications that keep us healthy. But before we get to that month, today I have Dr. Daniel Anderson. Hey, Dr. Anderson, how are you? Hey, doing well. How are you, Dr. Brown? Doing well. I wanted to have you on board because I know you work in infectious disease as a pharmacist. So can you tell me a little bit about where you work and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I I am an infectious diseases antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist at Augusta University Medical Center in Augusta, Georgia. Um, So some of my responsibilities include rounding with the infectious diseases consult service, uh, seeing patients with various infections, bacterial, fungal, uh, and viral, including HIV. Um, So that's that's a a part of what I do on a a day to day basis. I got it. And, you know, it's the last thing that you mentioned is the reason I wanted to have you on board. I've been doing a lot of reading lately about how to stop HIV from being transmitted. But before we get there, I kind of want to go back a little bit. I worked with HIV patients in Richmond in the 1990s and the 2000s. And honestly, the way we manage and take care of patients has changed dramatically over the even the past 10 years. Um I I hear people say now, you know, don't worry about it. It's like a chronic disease. We just give you a drug and you're great. Are we being too flippant saying things like that? I I think we have to be really careful with the lens through which we view HIV. It's a a landscape that we've had tremendous progress that's been made uh, in recent decades, as you mentioned, going from the 80s and 90s where we're uh, folks had to take multiple drugs multiple times a day, and those medications had a lot of side effects and maybe weren't as efficacious as the ones we have today. Right. Now we're able to put most patients on one tablet once a day. It's a pretty small tablet with uh, relatively benign side effect profiles or, or easier to manage side effects, less common, uh, and, and they work really well. So in, in a sense, we've made tremendous progress in the area of managing HIV, but it's still a life-altering diagnosis. Uh, that that comes with several other complications, you know, stigmas that may be associated still with as much as we've tried to reduce those, as well as just complications with patients, maybe not feeling accepted or, or you know, being fearful of disclosing uh, that, that diagnosis to family and friends uh, can still be something significant to, to, to have to manage uh, throughout life. So I, I don't want to be too flippant and say it's just a, a chronic disease state, although we have made some tremendous pros- progress in how we manage and, and even prevent HIV. Well, and you know, you mentioned the fact that we've gotten better in terms of we have better medications to help control the virus itself and people are living longer, thank goodness. Um, but medications do come with side effects. So when you have HIV and you have these extra medications, there's an increased chance of side effects and drug interactions, those things, correct? Absolutely. So so these are medications that have side effects ranging anywhere from uh, headache, nausea, vomiting, uh, all the way up to things like kidney damage, depending on which medications you're taking. So there's a spectrum of side effects that are associated with various agents. And I think the other thing that's important to consider is with HIV, um, medications have to be taken on a regular basis. It's, it's very important that patients don't miss doses or don't skip too many doses of their medication, which is common for medications with, with high side effect profiles. 
Uh, but it's it's very important to take these medications every day. And, and for someone like myself who has seasonal allergies, uh, I, I know how difficult it can be to take a medication every day. And I can see the effects uh, of when I miss a dose of my medication the next day. So it, I, I imagine it's very, very difficult uh, when you don't see the, the effects of missing a dose of medication. Um, so it, it's very important to, to take those medications every day, which can also be a hassle. Uh, and the side effects can be difficult to deal with as well. Yeah, and I think the other thing is there's not as much media discussion about HIV any longer. I don't see a lot of people talking about it as much, but we still, it, it's transmitted. We, we still have a, a large number of cases per year, correct, of brand new folks being diagnosed with HIV. We do. So some of the more recent estimates say that about 35,000 people every year are diagnosed with, with wow. HIV or newly diagnosed with HIV. And that's on top of the 1.2 million in the U.S. who are already estimated to be living with HIV. And about 13 percent of those those folks may not even know that they have HIV, which highlights the importance of testing as well uh, with, with any potential exposures to HIV. So that means the 13% are not on any medications you and I just talked about. They literally don't realize that they have the virus. And then 35,000 new cases per year. Are, are there particular folks that are increased risk? Are we seeing sort of a shift in the people that are, are acquiring HIV in those 35,000? Yeah, so our, our groups who are at, at highest risk have not changed significantly over the years. So it's it's primarily still seen as a diagnosis most commonly in patients with racial and, in racial and ethnic minorities, as well as gay and bisexual men and, and other men who have sex with men. However, there are increasing rates of HIV diagnosis against, uh, in other populations, such as, as Black women, for example. We've seen increased rates of transmission for that patient population as well. I was, it's interesting. I was looking at the CDC website in preparation of you and I talking, and I did see one of the fastest growing populations with HIV diagnosis are Black women. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the reason I'm bringing this up, and, and you, as you talk about 35,000 new cases, over the past, what now, Daniel, five, maybe seven years, we've had a drug on the market called Travada or PrEP. Um, I want to talk about that drug in a moment, but before I get there, before that happened, there's something used to be called PEP. What's the difference between PEP? And prep because it's the same it's kind of the same drugs used for both right it's a lot of the same drugs that are used for both but the, the principles are a little bit different so what pep stands for is post-exposure prophylaxis so historically the way we think about pep is is someone who has uh, an emergency situation where they may have been exposed to hiv uh, and, and didn't have the adequate protection that they needed to prevent transmission. So this is a medication that we would give after exposure to try to prevent that virus from really catching hold on the body uh, and, and becoming a more serious long-term infection. So, for example, a sexual assault. Exactly. So something that, you know, we, we all shudder to think um, in those, those cases, you know, very, very sad. Um, there's a lot of trauma to, to deal with already in that sort of situation. But yeah, that's that's one area that PEP would be uh, approved for use. Um, other situations may be a situation where you're having consensual sex and, and a condom breaks, for example, um, could be an emergency situation. Uh, other areas that we don't think about as frequently with PEP but are still indicated would be for, for patients who or, or people who enjoy IV drugs um, may be a situation to, to consider PEP, uh, as, as well as uh, workforce uh, cases where you may have a, a nurse, for example, who has a needle stick injury uh, while at work. That would also be an indication for post-exposure prophylaxis. So basically, you're not sure about what you've been exposed to, so you use the drugs to decrease the chance 
of the virus getting into the body after the event has occurred. Exactly. So we, okay. we usually don't test for HIV until a couple of weeks or months after the exposure, but we don't want to wait to, to know those results. We want to go ahead and get folks on post-exposure prophylaxis as quickly as possible. So that's a discussion to have, I think, out there, um, obviously, but more importantly, that kind of started a trend to discuss the reduction in transmission of HIV in general. And then the term PrEP, P-R-E-P, I saw it like, I just saw it the other day in a People magazine. I saw it in another magazine. These are not even health-related magazines. So this right. is growing in popularity. What is PrEP versus PEP? Absolutely. So that growing in popularity is something that's extremely important for us in preventing transmission of HIV. But PrEP, the difference is uh, PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. So we talked about PEP being post-exposure pre-exposure may be indicated for someone who has more frequent exposures or potential exposures to HIV and using it as a preventative method to prevent transmission. It's very highly effective, uh, but we, we, we recommend that patients take PrEP daily to prevent transmission of HIV. So I would, would it be safe to say then, if I'm having sex and I'm not monogamous, then I'm a candidate for PrEP, regardless of you know, ethnicity, man, woman, transgender, any aspect of that, of our spectrum. If you're having sex and you're not being monogamous, this might be something great for you to look into. Yeah, something great to look into and taking it one step further even is, is talking to your doctor about this uh, would be something that's that's extremely important to make sure that you could be on the right medications to prevent transmission uh, and also have someone talk to you about what you could expect while you're taking PrEP. There are some side effects that may be associated with, with PrEP, at least in the beginning. Um, so, so the importance of adherence to the medication, uh, looking out for those side effects. And also, as I mentioned, figuring out what drugs right for you. So, so we mentioned Truvada earlier. Right. There's a similar drug called Descovy, um, which is, is very similar in terms of these are both combination pills, so multiple drugs within the same one. So right. this one, Descovy has a different formulation of one of the drugs that's in Truvada. Now, it, it's only FDA approved for men, uh, gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men. However, it is not approved for women having receptive vaginal sex for prevention of HIV. Truvada is. Right. Truvada is, Descovy is not. At this point, good. okay. Yeah, right. Not at this point. So we don't have any any data to say that it prevents transmission for that population at the same success rate as other populations. Got it. I, you know, the question, I I looked at some data recently looking at men having sex with men, women having vaginal sex, transgender females um, also having sex, and the reduction in transmission rates were pretty impressive if they were on Travada and they took it every day like they were supposed to. What what is the um, I guess what is the percentage of reduction of chances of HIV being transmitted from one person to another if you're on Travada? As you mentioned, there is tremendous safety data out there. So as of 2018, there were about 220,000 people who were prescribed PrEP. Uh, with Truvada, with only a few cases uh, of documented HIV transmission in patients who reported good adherence. So there's some, some models based off of drug concentrations in the tissue that can tell us what the, the predicted uh, relative efficacy of these drugs are. So for someone who takes this medication all seven days of the week, there's about a 99% reduction in, in the efficacy or pre pre uh, prevention of transmission of HIV. So I'm going to stop there, right yeah. there. Because what I'm hearing you say is, if I do what I'm supposed to as a patient, and I take my one pill a day mm -hmm. of Truvada, 
and I am not monogamous, I'm having sex, I can actually reduce my chances of being exposed to HIV by 99%. That's correct. Breakthrough cases of HIV in patients who take their PrEP consistently is extremely low. Wow. And so, you know, is that the same with Discovy as well? Does it have the same percentages of, of reduction? It, it has very similar percentages reduction for those populations that we talked about, the, the gay, bisexual men and other men who have sex with men, right, right. Uh, but not for, for women having receptive, receptive vaginal sex. Uh, yeah, because the data is not there. <clears throat> One of the questions that my friends ask me as a pharmacist all the time and, and is, you know, I'm getting ready to take this drug. When will I see the effect? In this situation, so we have someone who takes Trivada. Are they magically protected that day with 99% or when do we tell people that I want to say not to have safe sex, but to know that they're safer during their sexual practices. When does Trivada start to really kick in? Right. So that's a, a really important distinction to make because there's other reasons to, to have safe sex practices um, using other methods to prevent sexually transmitted infections. Um, but as you mentioned, it, the, the onset's relatively quickly. Um, so within the first couple of days, you'd expect really, really good efficacy. Um, some folks would still recommend using safe sex practices uh, for, for a few days leading in. Um, however, we can, we can expect these concentrations to be really good, really fast. Well, and that's true for Descovy as well as, as an oral. Yeah, correct. Uh, you mentioned that these are both pills. Mm -hmm. I take them every day, uh, which, again, this is a huge leap in reducing transmission. So 99 percent. Right. I'm, I'm astounded by that number. Yeah. Uh, I was watching TV the other day and a big commercial came up talking about injectable drugs managing HIV. And I happened to look it up and I saw that there's now an injectable drug. That's mm -hmm. considered to be PrEP as well. How is that different other than being injectable from Trivada and Discovy? The, the drug that you're referencing is cabotegravir or Epritude is what you might hear it called, uh, the, okay. the brand name for it. Uh, and, and yeah, so as we were talking about earlier, we've made tremendous advances in, in HIV treatment and prevention. So I, I would say long acting injectables is something to be really excited about uh, as a potential option, both now and, and in the future as we continue to develop. So it's, it's dosed every two months. Um, it's it's given as uh, an intramuscular injection um, into the gluteus. So so in the right. Okay, what does that mean? Into the gluteus. So that's that's on on the butt. So on, on, oh. on the butt cheeks, you would get uh, an injection into that muscle uh, every two months. Oh. Um, so it's it's relatively well tolerated as well. So does uh, that happen? Does own does some, I, I could just imagine me trying to give myself a shot. Is that you go somewhere to get that done, or does it you have it at home? How does that work? Yeah, so it, it's not something that's used very frequently right now. So the, the data on it's very new and it's still very expensive. Okay. Um, you know, you'll you'll see some of the commercials for it, but but it it, it runs probably a two thousand dollars roughly. Um, cool. You know, depending on on insurance coverage and and you know other forms of patient assistance, it's it's still pretty expensive. So it's not used all that frequently. But yeah, you would come into the doctor's office and, and get an injection every two months, as well as some other routine testing that we do for patients who are on prep to make sure uh, we're not having other sexually transmitted infections. Uh, and we still want to make sure uh, that we routinely test for HIV uh, because there are some consequences of only taking PrEP if you actually have HIV. That makes sense. You know, you mentioned cost and I'm sorry, I forgot to even ask. So this is $2,000. What yeah. is like, Trivada is the oldest one. So can I assume it's the most affordable if you had to pay for it or if insurance is going to cover something? 
Yes, yeah, so it, it is it is most affordable um, of, of the three options. I will say for both Truvada and Descovy, uh, for patients that have certain indications for Descovy, uh, the, the manufacturer a lot of times um, will, will help out with that. They have some patient assistance programs that providers or pharmacists may be able to help get you enrolled in uh, as a patient. Um, but yeah, Truvada is going to be the most uh, the, the lowest cost of those options. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted people to know that because I didn't even think about looking at the cost and what to sort of say if you go to your primary care provider and say, hey, I think I might want to try this because I'm worried about uh, I'm worried about HIV transmission. I mean, I think that's a conversation to have with your primary care provider at every visit you go in the door, especially your annual visit. Mm -hmm. You were very, very um, smart to mention other STIs or sexually transmitted infections because I you know I understand prep is for HIV in terms of stopping the transmission but in preparation for you and I talking again because I didn't want to seem like you know I didn't have as much brains as you do um, I read an article the other night something called doxypep which I'm has doxycycline which is an antibiotic that's been around since time but I was kind of surprised there's now a discussion about using doxy post-exposure um, so you can reduce the chance of other sexually transmitted infections. What would doxycycline do? Which infections would that decrease? And is that even true what I'm reading? That's yeah, that's correct. So there there was a recent study that was published just last week uh, looking at doxypep. So it's something that uh, I think a lot of folks in the infectious diseases and, uh, and and providers who care for people living with HIV or looking to prevent HIV transmission are really excited about because it addresses some of those other sexually transmitted infections that previously we didn't have a good pharmacological method of preventing transmission. So some of the other sexually transmitted infections that doxypep is, is beneficial for or may be used for would be uh, gonorrhea. Uh, chlamydia and also syphilis, which are are, are three different infections uh, that we see fairly frequently. Uh, doxycycline, as you mentioned, is an older drug. Uh, it's used to treat a lot of different infections. Can be used for pneumonia or skin and soft tissue or skin infections. Uh, it's even been used to treat and prevent things like malaria and, and tick-borne diseases like Lyme disease in the past. So typically, we dose doxycycline 100 milligrams twice a day. Yeah. Doxypep is is a one-time dose of 200 milligrams of doxycycline that's taken within 72 hours of potential exposure to one of those diseases. So that means that you could potentially talk to your primary care provider about giving you a prescription for doxycycline. And if you have a sexual encounter and it wasn't using safe sex practices, the condom broke, those kinds of things, you can actually take two of these pills or capsules within three days and that's, that's that's correct. So what was studied was we saw a reduction in <clears throat> patients who were taking it within 72 hours of, of unprotected sex or exposure. Are you going to tell me now that it's a 99% reduction like we saw with Travada? Because I, so I, can't, I, I wish that I could. I wish that I could. It would be phenomenal to have something that prevented uh, transmission of these sexually transmitted infections at that high of a rate. But we can't say it's that high. So, so what the study showed that was published last week was that in the group that was not taking doxypep, there was about a 32% uh, uh, diagnosis of one of these sexually transmitted infections at routine follow-up visits, whereas in the group that was taking doxypep, there was only about a 10% incidence of, of these diseases. So still a significant reduction compared yeah. to not taking anything at all. But again, it's not 100%. So, so while it's a great kind of you know, emergency situation, we still want to encourage safe sex practices when feasible uh, to prevent transmission even more.
Yeah. Well, you know, that's a really good point that you sort of bring us back around to is I'm talking about not being monogamous and having sex. And and to be fair, people kind of get all weirded out when we start having these conversations, but people are having sex. I, I don't know how else right. to say it, mm-hmm. but your point is safe sex practices should still stay in place. That PrEP and DoxyPep do not take the place of those practices and protecting yourself during sex. Absolutely. So I can't stress enough. We've made tremendous advances in pharmacological prevention of these diseases. But, you know, we talked about PrEP for HIV has a very high efficacy rate. Doxypep is very, very good. But still, we saw a 10% incidence of these sexually transmitted infections. Um, And there's still other sexually transmitted infections as well, such as as herpes, that we don't have great preventative methods for. So we still want to encourage safe sex practices when possible. That's a really good point. So as everybody knows, herpes is caused by a virus. And again, because I knew you and I were talking, I did some background research and was reading. I have to admit to you, I did not realize that um, people living with herpes, that some people have no idea they even have the virus, that they've never had a symptom, but they can still pass it along to someone else that they're having sex with. Is that is that happen all the time? Is it like a few people here or there? I was mesmerized by that. Yeah, yeah that happens a lot. So in 2018, the CDC reports that there were about 600,000 new cases of herpes that were diagnosed in just the United States in an age group between, I think it was the ages of like 18 and 49 years old. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. One year's time, 600,000 cases of herpes were diagnosed and 35,000 cases of HIV were diagnosed. Correct. 600,000? Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, a lot of folks have herpes that, that may not even know it. So we, we think of herpes or we ta- we're taught about herpes in, in sex ed class in school as you have all these lesions that are very, very painful. Uh, but that's not always the case for everyone. Uh, so, so you may have uh, just a, a slight bump or something like that or a red mark. You may think it's an ingrown hair. Uh, or, or acne or something like that, that could actually be herpes. Um, so there's that case. And then we also know that we have genital herpes and we have oral herpes or herpes of the mouth. Um, they're cold sores that a lot of folks are exposed to at young ages, um, whether it be sharing a drink with someone who who has HSV. Uh, but those those infections can also be passed from, from mouth to genitals and vice versa, uh, depending on the, the sexual practices or the sexual encounter that, that could occur. So, I mean, as we talked about safe sex practices before. I mean, I think using condoms and thinking your way through it is great. But you said this earlier about getting tested for HIV. Can we also talk about getting tested routinely for other STIs as well? I think with PrEP, you go every three months for an HIV test, right? That's that's correct. So for the oral options, you're going to take it every three three months. You would you would go for an HIV test, and and most the recommendations uh, are to still test for other sexually tra- transmitted infections at those times as well, especially if there's a high risk. Um, and and then for um, for those on aptitude, uh, when you get the two month injections, a, a lot of providers may choose to do some STI testing at, at those visits as well. So I you know what you hear Dr. Anderson saying is when you know you're going in, you should be tested routinely for syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and then HSV. I think it's a blood test. I know it's a blood test. Um, and we'll see if you've been exposed to it. I, you know, the reason I'm, I'm asking all this, Dr. Anderson, is because, you know, you said high-risk groups. I, I have a hard time with the term high-risk because I think if you're having sex yeah. more than one person, then you're both not monogamous, then I think you have, you have yeah. some responsibility to yourself 
to get tested routinely, make sure you know your risk, and then have a conversation with your primary care provider of, are any of these medications we're talking about important to you? Um, and do you want to go on them? And then also, what's your risk for HSV? 600,000 mm-hmm. new diagnoses. Um, and again, people don't even know that that they have it. And so it's easy. It's not easy. It's They could be transmitting it without even knowing it. So it's not even right. top of your mind. Oh, wow. Exactly. And, and as you said, when I, when I say high risk, what I'm talking about is high risk of exposure um, in terms of, you know, are are you participating in activities that may be at high risk sure. for sexually transmitted infections, whether that's unprotected sex with multiple partners right. um, or, or, or any other methods. So yeah, that's a, a great distinction to make. Yeah, um, I have a hard time when people talk about, oh, what well, they've had too many partners. I'm like, what are, you know, not to be mean, but what are too many partners to the people saying that? That's none of my, it's not my job to define that. But I tell folks, if you are not monogamous and you're having sex, yeah then you may take care of yourself. Make sure that you're you're being honest with your primary care and taking care of yourself. And you you brought up some really good points today about we've come a long way in medications to help keep you safe. Um, right. But we still have a couple of things that are out there that can be transmitted and cannot be stopped. Uh, yeah. HSV is being one of them. Um, I know HPV. Mm-hmm. I did a podcast last month with this amazing physician who talked about Gardasil and vaccines. I'm not going to go into that today, mm-hmm. but I, it does come into the same category that we have no way to stop HPV other than a vaccine and safe sex practices. So I just want to throw that in there and and make sure that we, we have an idea. Uh, You know, one of the things that, that we talk a lot about in this particular conversation is this is about preventive health, right? Sure. Thinking ahead to like, Oh, I may have this exposure. So I need to make sure that I think about if I want to be on these products or having doxycycline at my house, just in case. Right. right. Yeah, this is a new way to think, though, Daniel. I mean, think about, you know, we sort of said, okay, we'll have safe sex and cross our fingers, hope everything goes well. This sounds like another layer of protection or insurance to me. Yeah, so as you said, we're we're really moving towards preventative medicine. Um, and unfortunately, preventative medicine for HIV and other infectious diseases has kind of lagged behind some of the other chronic disease states, you know, eating healthy, exercising for, for things like diabetes and hypertension. So I'm glad to see we're catching up here. Uh, and I'm also been glad to see that this is something that has been a priority in terms of the health department and reducing transmission. So you mentioned some of the complications with insurances. There's really a lot of initiatives uh, from the the government as well as some of the drug manufacturers to make sure that we are reducing the the rates of transmission of these diseases because of the impact that they have not only for the individual that may be diagnosed but also for uh, for the community at large um, and and protecting other other potential partners or or people who have not been diagnosed with these infections at this point. That's a great point. I I think the other question I have though is Obviously, if you live in a larger city or you have insurance or those things, it's a little easier to access care and have these conversations. Are there places that students can go, people that don't necessarily have great insurance or even any insurance, or they pay for their drugs out of their pocket, even though they have, where where would you say folks can find Truvada or get tested or have these conversations with a medical professional that sometimes just financially can't do it? 
Right. So so we know that in, in Georgia, there, there are a lot of communities that don't have infectious diseases providers, right, who a lot of folks will defer to on these sorts of situations. This is something that can be prescribed by family practitioners. Uh, so your doctor that you may go to see annually or, or you know, every every once in a while as you get sick, uh, they can prescribe these medications. The health department can, can certainly link you into the, the correct places to go. You mentioned students as another group. Um, a lot of universities have health departments and a, a lot of them are trained to uh, prescribe and, and monitor patients who uh, are taking PrEP or DoxyPep or, or counsel on other safe sex practices. Um, so there are some avenues out there. And then you mentioned uh, historically some of these medications have been pretty expensive. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there, there's a big push for the, from the health department to make sure that patients have access to these medications when they're needed. Um, so there, there are some programs that can, that can help get these drugs at a reduced price or no price at all uh, to, to patients through manufacturers or through the health department. It's a great point. You know, I sit on the board for Live Forward here in Athens, which is an organization that works for services for people living with HIV, but they do free HIV testing and they're discussing, you know, should we be looking at how to provide PrEP free of charge or a re really reduced amount? So if you're right. living in Georgia, I, I want you to sort of Google it, research it, see what's in your area. Um, this is not something just for people who have insurance or they have a lot of money lying around, I would argue that this is for everybody out there that's having sex and they need to protect themselves. Yeah, uh, it, it's extremely important, right? So when you yeah. when you think about the complications uh, of uh, someone that has HIV or, or uh, someone who, who contracts HIV, you're at, at risk for, you know, the, the cost of the medications after the diagnosis or subsequent infections that you may not be able to fight off. So there there is an incentive um, for prevention for these disease states uh, from, from a higher up level as well. So so these are widely available to, to most people for, for low costs. I agree. People living with HIV are like, they, they're my heroes in certain ways because I know that they had a life altering diagnosis that changes not only how they live, but also their social interactions. And yeah. so, you know, I, I, I don't like this concept where it's manageable. You know, if, if I get HIV, I get HIV. I, I really think sexual health and having this discussion is important. Um, Dr. Anderson, you've covered a lot. You've covered a great deal, actually, in, in a lot, of, not, not a lot of it, all of it has been incredibly important. If you had to sum up three points for our listeners to sort of take home with them today, say they're coming in the last five minutes of this podcast, what would you leave them with? I would say the the first thing, again, um, I know I've said this before, we've made tremendous advances in pharmacological preventative methods for, for many uh, sexually transmitted infections, including HIV. However, these are, are still not 100%, and we don't have preventative me methods for, for all of our sexually transmitted infections. As we talked about, herpes simplex virus being one, or, or herpes that's very, very prevalent in the community. Um, so it's still very, very important to, to practice safe sex when possible, uh, using condoms, um, and other safe sex measures. Uh, another thing that I, I want to emphasize is the importance of testing. Um, so uh, again, that's that's pivotally important. We don't want someone to be on PrEP with an active diagnosis of HIV. So that can, can lead to some other uh, problems that are outside the scope uh, of this discussion. Um, but, but testing is so important and, and prompt treatment for really any of these sexually transmitted infections. The earlier that we can catch them, the better we can treat those infections, the better we can prevent long-term complications. And the third thing I want to emphasize is comprehensive care is so important. So we, we talk about preventative 
methods. Uh, we talk about PrEP, but what happens when someone actually does have a diagnosis of HIV, someone who is living with HIV? We need to provide comprehensive care to those folks as well. So they, they need the infectious diseases care. Also, family family care is very important. So, so your um, family doctor that you may go to, your primary care physician, that uh, is such an important um relationship to have and and so important to have adequate treatment for all uh, disease states um, and then the, the third thing is the the emphasis on mental health care uh, as it as it pertains to HIV diagnosis so we mentioned this is a lifelong diagnosis a lot's been done to reduce the stigma of HIV but it's certainly still out there um, and you you do see patients all the time and it's it's, it's heartbreaking uh who, who are afraid or you know will, will ask you please don't tell uh, my family member when they're in the room that, that that's a huge burden to carry not only with the diagnosis, but but just the weight of that diagnosis and, and walking through it alone sometimes. So the comprehensive healthcare in terms of mental health care, whether that's counseling uh, or, or seeing a psychiatrist to get prescribed the appropriate medications, uh, it is so pivotally important. Um, I, I got to say real quick, I got to give a, a quick shout out to my wife is a, a psychiatrist, a psychiatry resident. And, and one of her initiatives this year has been to increase the, the psychiatry presence in our HIV clinic. Uh, or our ID clinic in Augusta. So we're, we're really excited about the opportunities that that's going to bring as well. So, so really proud of her for that. Uh, but, but again, just the comprehensive care between ID, family medicine, internal medicine, and, and also our, our mental health professionals as well is pivotally important for, for patients who maybe it's, it's too late for PrEP or, or forget to take your PrEP and, and have an active diagnosis of HIV. Got it. No, those, those are great. Some there's a great summation of what we talked about today. I want to say thank you again for taking time. I know you're rounding today, and you're actually taking time out of that to spend time here and doing this podcast to educate our listeners. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. No worries. And for those listening in, my name is Dr. Tim Brown. This has been Farmcast for the Community, as always, sponsored by the University of Georgia's College of Pharmacy. Please listen in next month as once again, we talk to Patrick Chansey. We're going to talk about how to afford medications overall. You heard us talk a lot today about affording the medications for your sexual health. We're going to expand that conversation and talk about patient assistant programs, what it means to you to take money out of your own pocket, and how your insurance might have to change the way it does pricing, whatever the government decides to do with regard to insulin, for example. We'll talk with you then. Until that time, go in good health. And thanks, as always, for listening in. I appreciate it.